All the girls are complicated. Everyone is precious too, and you might get lucky if you do. Oh, you might get lucky if you do. Find the one that makes you laugh. Find the one that takes your breath where you won't get everything that you want. Oh, but you'll need one to go upon. Hello and welcome to episode 99 of the Christian Feminist Podcast. I'm Leah Henning and with me today are Victoria Reynolds Farmer and Blake Miller. Hello, Victoria, Blake. Hi, Leah. Hey, Leah. <laughs> Let's introduce <laughs> ourselves for any listeners that are new to the program. Uh, Blake, you want to start? Sure. Uh, my name is Blake Miller. Uh, I am a graduate of the Abilene Christian University's Graduate School of Theology with a master's degree in divinity and uh, currently a hospital chaplain in Atlanta, Georgia. Thanks, Blake. Uh, I'm Victoria Reynolds Farmer. I have a uh, master's in English from the University of Georgia and a doctorate in Renaissance Literature and Gender and Sexuality Studies from Florida State University. I'm currently working in audience development in public radio in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, I live in a suburb of Minneapolis with my husband, Michael, of the Christian Humanist Podcast and our two cats. Thank you, Victoria. And um, I'm Leah Henning. I am currently living in St. Paul, Minnesota. I have a master's degree in early modern European history. Um, and if I sound a little funny today, it's because I am recovering from a cold. So I do apologize to our listeners for that. Um, but we will uh, go on. Uh, today we are talking about women in comedy how women are able to interact with comedy as comedians, audience members, and uh, in some ways as the butt of jokes. Um, this is, of course, a big topic, huge topic, and certainly not one that we're going to be exhausting today. So we will be focusing on observations from Hannah Gadsby's recent comedy special, Nanette. Uh, as well as additional views expressed in Christopher Hitchens' article, Why Women Aren't Funny, from Vanity Fair, and Alessandra Stanley's response article, Who Says Women Aren't Funny? Um, about 15 minutes into her special, Gatsby announces that she is seriously thinking about quitting comedy. And she goes on to say that comedy tends to be self-deprecating and self-deprecating comedy for her as a woman, as well as a lesbian, is more humiliating than humorous. Uh, and her comments about comedy and how it's perceived fall in line with some cultural commentary that has been coming up more often in recent years, pointing out how pitting genders against each other and degrading oneself and others for the sake of a laugh 
is more inherently dangerous to the way that we interact with each other as humans every day. Um, Victoria, would you be able to give us more background on Gadsby and other women and how they've been treated in the comedy circuit? Uh, sure. So I'm going to, I'll start with a really brief, not at all exhaustive um, history of female comedians that's just going to hit some high points. Um, if I miss your favorite comedian in this list, uh, please do not send us angry emails, um, though if you'd like to email us and tell us who your favorite female comedians are and why, uh, that would be great. So, not an exhaustive list. Um, I, this history really starts with vaudeville. Um, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to start instead with old-time radio in the 30s, um, where you get some people who are coming from the vaudeville tradition, which is really broad uh, comedy that is um, sometimes physical and often um, identity-based, but in a, a kind of broader um, ethnic way, um, because you're in an era in the early 20th century where lots of different people are coming to America and, and trying to make their marks. So you get a, a, an early kind of identity-based comedy there. So people from the vaudeville tradition are coming into old-time radio, and a lot of people who um, get famous in this first uh, golden age of radio are um, male-female couples, sometimes just playing married people, sometimes actually married people. Um, the big three here are George Burns and Gracie Allen, Phil Harris and Alice Faye, and Jack Benny and Mary Livingston. Uh, so George and Gracie are um, married in real life. They play a married couple on the radio as well, and they are definitely in life and in business equal partners. Um, the line that you hear, the joke all the time, is George Burns had one great joke and he married her um, because George is the straight man and Gracie um, has all the good jokes. She does kind of play a ditz, so there's a little bit of a gender stereotype, but it's very good humored um, and their marriage... Um, despite occasional infidelity, uh, was, was mostly strong. Um, there are some great jokes about George's affair in his autobiography, too, if you'd like to read that, um, as improbable as that sounds. Uh, Phil Harris and Alice Faye um, are another couple who are interesting because on their show, Phil is kind of the feminine stereotype. He's obsessed with his looks. Um, he's kind of lazy. Uh, he lives off of Alice's money. She is smarter and does more work than him, but they're very much in love. Uh, one drawback there is Alice isn't in the show as much as Phil is. I mean, he is a bigger star. Um, if you don't know Phil Harris as a comedian, you probably know him as a voiceover artist. He did a lot of great work for Disney. He's Baloo the Bear in The Jungle Book and also Little John in Robin Hood, if you're familiar with, uh, with those Disney comedies. So this is, is mostly a happy marriage again um, and is interesting to me because of a, a bit of gender inversion. Uh, and then Jack and Mary... Um, Jack Benny, 
even though he's the star of the show, is always the butt of the joke. Um, he's reputation obsessed. He's wants to be famous. He's also very cheap. Um, Mary is smart and has a career. So in this early era of women in comedy, they are often playing a uh, second fiddle to male comedians, but the gender roles aren't as cut and dried as you think maybe they would be uh, so early in history. So after radio, you get a transition to TV. Um, I'm going to skip forward in time a little bit, but also say that uh, the kind of two biggest mid-century to slightly after that um, TV comedians get their start in radio. Both Lucille Ball and Mary Tyler Moore start as wives on radio shows, then they become wives on TV shows, and then they get their own shows where their comedy is central. Um, but these TV shows, both the earlier ones when Mary Tyler Moore gets her start on Dick Van Dyke and the earlier version of The Lucy Show, um, are very post-war in terms of gender roles. Women stay home and take care of kids. Men go to work. Um, the hijinks and comedy that happen, happen mostly in the separate spheres. Uh, the later television shows, um... I Love Lucy and the Mary Tyler Moore show both are more progressive socially. Lucy and Ricky as, you know, kind of gender traditional as they are with their separate beds. Um, it's the earliest interracial marriage on TV, so that's kind of a big deal. And then later, um, Mary Richards on the Mary Tyler Moore show is a divorcee. She's dating. She has her own uh, career. So that's a, a step in a different direction. Also, something that's different about um, that era of comedy is that it's much more physical than the immediately post-war stuff. Um, you know, Lucy's slapstick is incredible. There's a lot of physical stuff on the Mary Tyler Moore show, too. Um, and then a little later in the 70s into the 80s, you go from... Um, Mary Tyler Moore to the comedy of women like Carol Burnett and Vicki Lawrence on The Carol Burnett Show and later on Mama's Family. Um, these are women who own their own production companies like, uh, like Lucy and Mary also did. Um, and then they start managing other comedians. So you see the power sort of going forward. Um, and then you get to the 80s and 90s where I see kind of two different paths for women. Um, and, and this is where it gets a little generalizy. Um, I'm still working it out. So if I'm completely wrong, uh, if you think I'm completely wrong, please let me know. Uh, so I think there's one path where women are very entrenched in the stand-up comedy world. Um, women like Margaret Cho and Sarah Silverman and later Amy Schumer um, and maybe Eliza Schlesinger, too, I think is kind of part of this group of people, though she comes even later. Uh, and these women, perhaps because they're in the male-centric stand-up comedy world, um, they're kind of crass and raunchy, and they talk about sex a lot. Um, they also talk about identity, um, uh, ethnic identity. Um, religious identity. Sarah Silverman talks about being Jewish. Margaret Cho talks about being Korean. Um, and these are things that are central to the jokes that they tell. 
Um, so there's that one stand-up comedy path. There's also a parallel path that hits uh, in the mid to late 90s, um, where women who are comedy writers and trained in the improv circuit start to become showrunners for major networks. Um, women like Tina Fey and Amy Poehler and Mindy Kaling. So they come up in male writers' rooms for TV and start um, trying to figure out what it means to fit in in those worlds. And a lot of the comedy that you get from them has to do with um, being a fish out of water in terms of fitting in with rooms full of men um, and a lot of work-life balance stuff too. How am I competent at my job and also um, a more well-rounded person who has a romantic life and that sort of thing. Uh, and now I have talked for too long. I know I have overgeneralized and left out a bunch of stuff, um, but that is basically what I have there. Um, also, really short biography of Hannah Gadsby. Um, I'm not going to be too uh, in-depth here because the special itself is so... Um, so autobiographical that, that it's going to cover a lot. So the broad strokes here are, she is born in Tasmania in 1978. Uh, she studies art history, which is uh, pretty central to this special as well, at the Australian National University. She gets lots of parts on several Australian comedies, both scripted and unscripted, but really becomes famous in her own country after she wins raw comedy um, a little bit like uh, Last Comic Standing in the United States, uh, but Australian. She wins the 2006 season of that um, and becomes famous there. She really hits worldwide fame, however, in 2018 when Nanette, the special we're going to talk about, um, explodes onto Netflix. From its release to now, it has a 100% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Tons of people have been talking about it. Um, and we're going to talk about it, too. So I think, Blake, uh, can you tell us a little bit about what Nanette is as a comedy special? I can. Uh, so like you said, Victoria, uh, Nanette is a very personal uh, hour of stand up. And Gatsby comes back again and again to her own life story as she's peppering in other jokes about growing up in Tasmania and just the the vicissitudes of her life. She starts by talking about growing up as a lesbian in a country where being gay was against the law for about the first 20 or so years of her life. And then she moves on to people um, giving their opinions to her about how she represents the queer or lesbian community um, before kind of saying that she's planning on quitting comedy, like we've already discussed. And she talks about her art history degree and about mental illness and these kind of intersect in a really interesting way where she goes on a long sort of tirade about uh, Vincent Van Gogh and how mental illness affected his work as an artist. And that leads her into the, the idea of, you know, do artists need to be mentally ill or need to be uh, ostracized or anything like that in order to do their work, which is a really interesting topic to delve into. Um I personally really like about it there. She doesn't, you know, tell jokes about airplane food or, uh, you know, grocery stores or anything like that. These are all the kinds of stories and jokes that only Hannah Gadsby 
could share with us. Like, for instance, um, she talks about hitting on a woman and her boyfriend threatening to beat her up for it until he sees that she is also a woman and assumes that that means she wasn't hitting on him, even though she tells the audience that she really was. And as the act goes on, she seems to let out more and more anger about um, these experiences in her life, um, all related to art history and growing up uh, as a lesbian, talking about Picasso saying that women are in their prime at 17, and talking about how Monica Lewinsky was a punching bag for comedians in the late 90s when perhaps she was a victim in that scenario, until she comes back to that joke about hitting on a man's girlfriend and reveals that, in fact, that guy did beat her up when he realized that she was a lesbian. And then the comedy pretty much stops in the special. She says so much, at least. And she talks about carrying this pain and this tension of making a joke out of her own life and being unable to heal from it because of that. And she ends uh, the special with an appeal to, to men, especially to straight white men, to pull their socks up as uh, I guess Tasmanian parlance goes, and to look at things from a different perspective. And she asks you know, questions like, what would it have been like for a man to live my life? And says that she is, uh, or has rebuilt herself from the pain that she's experienced. So overall, it's a really interesting sort of spin on what is a traditional stand-up set that turns from just telling jokes and just trying to make people laugh to um, excavating sort of a deeper point in in what laughter does and what comedy does, both to the people that hear it and to the people that, that live it. Um, in terms of how the special affected me or how I appreciated it, the jokes for me uh, were very hit or miss. Often she often seemed to rely on the gimmick uh, of a, just answering a question or or turning her punchline in in a high pitched voice, and um, she sometimes talks about sort of very specific things like how everyone says you have to like Picasso that just really don't resonate with me. Um, and she bends her language to her whims in ways that kind of push me away. One of the things she says is Picasso, you know, used his art to give us so many different perspectives, but couldn't one of them have been a women's perspective, which is kind of funny because based on everything else I'm hearing from her, it's hard for me to believe that Hannah Gadsby would um, appreciate Picasso's giving a woman's perspective or, or think that he could, could even offer that. Um, and like I said, towards the end, she she even explains, you know, in express terms to the men in the audience. She says that if you feel like I've been persecuting you, you know, good catch. I have. And it kind of feels like she's holding all men's feet to the fire for the actions of some men that have done, of course, dreadful, awful things to her. And that to me is kind of a where it sort of misses me. Um, but I obviously understand in many ways I'm not the intended audience. So I'd be interested to hear, uh, Victoria and Leah, what you guys took away from it yourselves. Certainly. Um, I'm going to say that the first time I ever watched a special, I cried, which doesn't sound like the type of review that you want for a comedy special. <laughs> um, but if we're being honest, it's not so much a comedy special as it's an anti-comedy special. Uh, and there is quite a bit that's geared specifically for women. Um, 
And a lot of that did resonate with me. Uh, One of the lines, and I think you mentioned it in part, it's towards the end um, where she says, there is nothing stronger than a woman broken who has rebuilt herself, where she's challenging uh, men and almost challenging the world to come at her now instead of her when she was younger because she is now powerful enough to take on the world, basically. Um, And at that moment, it's just incredibly uplifting. And I, I think where she starts truly drawing that attention is, again, about a quarter of the way in where she just says, I, I think I need to quit comedy because I don't think that this is going to work for me anymore. And she starts really, as you said, breaking down what comedy is and how it works. And I, she, I, can I, <laughs> can I interrupt you just a second to quote, um, I want to quote that line directly about why um, a certain kind of humor is uh, about building up and a certain kind of humor is about tearing down. Um, She says, when self-deprecation comes from somebody who is already in the margins, it's not humility, it's humiliation. Um, And and that's sort of the the center of why she says she needs to quit comedy, because she can't use her already harmful life experiences in that way. Thank you. I was looking in my notes to find that quote, so I'm glad you found it. It it is just a beautiful expression and you're I would say you're right Blake that she is extremely angry but she also kind of comes out and says as much that you know I understand that I'm ending this in anger and I don't want to be angry so this is why I need to quit comedy (laughs) Um, right yeah I really enjoyed it it's tough to sit through but I think it's worth doing at least once. I I agree with that. I like um, what you said about it being an anti-comedy special. Um, Leah, I agree with that. I do think there are a lot of really funny jokes um, that were funny to me, um, and I'll talk about a couple of them, but you uh, mentioned crying the first time you watched it. Um, I uh, the first time I watched this, I watched it on my bus commute, um, which is where I watch things I know that my husband will not watch with me. Um, and I knew immediately that he would not enjoy this special, so I was going to watch it by myself, um, which is not any kind of commentary on him. And just, you know, when you're married to someone for a long time, you know things that they're not going to like. So I knew I would have to enjoy that one alone. So I'm riding the bus watching this, and... Um, I, I think it was it was probably um, about three quarters of the way through when she's sort of unpacking this uh, instance that Blake talks about where she's um, getting in this altercation on the street with the man whose girlfriend she has hit on. And there are tears just streaming down my face. And I don't think I was making a ton of noise, um, but there was a, a woman sitting in the seat directly next to me and she 
um, looked over and just really quietly said, are you okay? Um, and I, I lifted up my phone screen just to say, you know, I'm, I'm all right. I'm just being affected by something I'm watching. And um, all silently. And she looks over and notices what's on my screen and goes, oh, okay, and, and just nods like she, she understood my emotional response. So I think that, that there is something about this special that is going to affect um, women more because it has so much to say about how women move through the world. Um, but I, I do think it's interesting because there were certain parts of this special that I could really relate to as a woman and then certain things that as a straight woman, you know, were not um, were not common to my experience because she does spend a lot of time kind of interrogating her own position in queer culture. Um, something I thought was really funny early in the special is she says that essentially as a lesbian, um, be, because gay men are the default gay people, um, she felt excluded, um, even in gay bashing. Um, she says like lesbians, people just think, uh, do they even exist if no one's watching and there's no harm in a cuddle? So like, you know, they don't get to have be sexual the way that gay men get to be sexual. Um, but she also says um, that she doesn't feel like dominant gay culture includes her either. She talks about how kind of loud and flamboyant pride parades are and says, my favorite sound in the whole world is the sound of a teacup finding its place on a saucer. So, you know, she's much quieter and doesn't feel included there either. So I thought that was really interesting because it does um, kind of add a, a level of depth and nuance to the degree to which her comedy is about identity. That's a good point, because there's another part where she says, I'm not sure I identify as lesbian anymore. What I really identify as is tired, um, <laughs> which was another funny turning point in her um, identity commentary right at the beginning. Um <laughs> If well, we're I, sharing I, our favorite jokes, do you mind if I jump in real quick? Oh, please. <laughs> My, I please think the, the one that hit me the best was when she said, you know, as a kid or growing up, I knew more facts about unicorns than I did about lesbians, which is really, well, there are no facts about unicorns. So <laughs> I thought that was a great sort of skewering of, of where she felt she was at, at that point in her life. Oh, that was a good one. <laughs> Um, well, I guess from here, we should probably move into what we do agree or disagree with what she says about the nature of comedy and how it treats women and people of minority. Um, Victoria, did you want to start? So I, I do think she has a point in terms of the way that um, she talks about men being, well, I, I already said uh gay men are the default gay people. Um, she talks about men being kind of default humanity. Um, and I, I think that's, that's definitely true just in terms of the way that our society is set up. Uh, she talks about being mistaken for a man on an airplane um, and how the 
the flight attendant is always super, super apologetic. Um, like when she enters the plane for just a second, it's hello, sir. And then it's, oh, ma'am, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And she says, no, that's great. I, I love that. I love that minute of time because for that minute, uh, I'm top shelf normal king of the humans. Uh, this idea that like um, being a white straight man endows with it a lot of power, um, I, I think is true. Um, I, I also think there's a lot of truth um, in what she says about self-deprecation being different um, if it comes from someone who's already socially marginalized. But I, I do think like, yes, I really enjoy what she says and I agree with it politically, but because this is a comedy special that's not really a comedy special, like what do we do what do we do about jokes as jokes? Because comedy is always has always been about power differential, and I think will always be about power differential. Like, what's that? Uh, that um, it's like Mel Brooks or Woody, Woody Allen or somebody who says um, uh, tragedy is when I fall down uh, and scrape my knee, and comedy is when you plunge down an open manhole. Um, so it you know it's it's perspective um and and power that that make jokes so i don't as much as i enjoy this special like i don't think it's really about being funny even when it is being funny and what do you do with that in the genre of comedy special that's a very good point um i i personally was very drawn to how she kind of broke apart what a joke is and and how that relates to how she does comedy and how comedy was just perceived by her kind of as she was falling into this career. Um, I believe she said it was in two parts. You have your setup and then you have your punchline. And then as the special goes on, of course, we compare that to a story which has a beginning, middle, and end where you have the true end of trauma or of tension. And I think where she was dwelling quite a bit during this special was the tension aspect of a joke. Um, and I I've agree with you, Victoria. I'm not sure what to do with all of this information that she um, unloads for us in her special. Um, she does a great job outlining these different aspects, but doesn't tell us what to do with them, uh, which I think was part of the point. Uh, at one point when she stops telling the jokes, she just says, I'm not going to relieve your tension anymore. I'm not going to give you the end to a joke anymore. You guys now need to resolve this tension yourself. And then that's when she starts going into full-on anger mode. She doesn't um, say resolve. She says carry. She says carry. carry this tension. It's yours now. So that language is incredible because there's a like a, a transferring of weight 
um, and a, like a, a kind of ownership and belonging that, that happens or that she is saying should happen. Right. Which, which almost kind of moves it not even into the realm out of comedy, but into maybe even a classical definition of tragedy, you know, utilizing the concept of catharsis and, and making us all sort of reckon with a pain uh, that yes. we all feel and can't always deal with. Right. Pity and fear, right? Um, that sort of textbook um, definition of catharsis that I always wrote on the board in my intro drama classes, cleansing of emotion through pity and fear. Um, and I think both of those things are are present in this special in spades. Definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so in a way, are we watching an actual comedy special or anti-comedy special? Or is this more an unofficial um, way for her to release all of this that she's been bottling up, do you think? Something that's interesting to me is that I've seen trailers for the show around the time it came out and there were, you know, title cards um, put up by Netflix, you know, and it would cut between these title cards and, and pieces of jokes that, that she was telling. And one of them said a Netflix comedy special and the word comedy after it was up for a couple of seconds disappeared. So that all was left was a Netflix special. And it was interesting because on one hand, it made me think like, are you telling me it's going to be a bad comedy special? Because if it's a comedy special that, that takes away the word, you know, what are you expecting me to expect? But on the other hand, it was like, OK, what is what is she really after? And maybe at the end of the day, if somebody says that's not comedy, Hannah Gadsby, it might be her say, you know, her, her retort might be that's the point. And maybe that that is what she's getting at and what she's after here. Yeah, it, it is difficult to unpack all of it. Um, so I guess kind of connecting Hannah to more of our mainstream comedy, how we perceive comedy um, and how women interact with it. Uh, let's see how they, how her observations align with what we read in the Hitchens article and the response article. All right. Um, well, Hitchens's article is is sort of classic Christopher Hitchens, you might think. It's a, a sort of, you know, angry guy who you might say is coming down from the mountain with what he thinks is unvarnished truth, except for he's not the kind of guy that wants to come down from the mountain on on any level. Um, he he makes an argument that um Men are both kind of required to be funny in a way that women are not because men have to woo women and, and men have to sort of compete on a vicious level for primacy and for um, popularity. So it is incumbent upon a man to be funny in a way that women don't have to be. But he also says um, that women are more closely connected to some of the more um, awful things about life. He kind of talks about women in childbirth and women understanding death a little bit better because of childbirth and just all of, I guess you could say, the grossness that happens from one end of that to the other. And so he thinks that kind of hampers their ability to be funny because it makes them have to be more serious. Um, and so the the response article doesn't really 
contend very much with um, his ideas because I, I guess the what it would kind of start and stop with is just he's wrong. But, you know, there are comments about society having different expectations for women and maybe women being forced to be uh, serious by society itself. Um, Joan Rivers is quoted in the response article by saying men find funny women threatening and they ask, are you going to be funny in bed? So that's something to think about in terms of whether the world even wants women to be funny um, based on who you ask and how you ask it. Uh, let's see. I imagine that Gadsby would be very critical of Hitchens's perspective, and she'd probably compare him to Picasso the way she talks about Picasso in uh, the special, just talking about women beings, objects, or just tools that men use. Um, it was really funny is that Hitchens talks about how the best heterosexual female comedians, he, he kind of calls them a nasty word for lesbian, but he doesn't talk about whether being a lesbian, uh, you know, allows women to be funnier. And he doesn't talk about the funny lesbian women that were around when he was writing this um, article. Uh, he says, I think that maybe Gatsby's set looks at uh, the way that women have been kind of pushed into the margins, not just in all the other aspects of life, but in comedy itself. And one of the ways that people often talk about comedy is that there is a need for an anger in it or an aggressiveness. You have to be sort of aggressive to get in front of a group of people with nothing but a microphone and kind of force them to listen to their opinions, to your opinions, that is. Um, and maybe this anger that Gadsby feels at um, a world that she thinks has marginalized her and soaked her in shame, as she says, towards the end of her set uh, and allowed her or put her in a position to be beaten and uh, sexually abused and stuff. Um, that is a, a place from which she can draw the anger and the aggressiveness that you might want to make jokes out of. But then again, she says that it seems like that's a very self-destructive thing to do. So it's kind of like the special itself. I think we're left really not knowing um, what the best way forward is if if the what's gotten us where we are seems to be kind of a dangerous dangerous game to play uh, I, th I think you're right Blake about Gadsby not liking the Hitchens piece um, and and I think you're right about the reasons why she wouldn't like it uh, I also hated it I like top to bottom every single word hated it um, but I knew I was going to. I'm not a Christopher Hitchens fan um, when he's not talking about things I'm interested in. I'm super not a fan when he is talking about things I'm interested right. in. Um, right. And I, I felt like he was just, first of all, the kind of really basic Evo psych argument he makes about um, men have to be funny because they have to woo women um, and, and women are there to be wooed. Um, it was just tired and not really well developed. And um, I, I felt like he may as well 
been making vaudeville, you know, take my wife, please, kind of jokes, um, and that that was the level of sophistication in terms of what comedy is and in terms of, of conceptions of gender and how men and women work with each other. Um, I just, I felt like he wasn't trying very hard there and that he expected the audience just to kind of accept what he was saying face value. Um, but again, I, I knew from the beginning that I was going to disagree with him. So maybe that's, maybe that's not fair. Um, and, and maybe I should, should be, should be kinder to that, um, I, I do think I, I was going to mention the the Joan Rivers quote um, that you said about uh, men being afraid that funny women are going to be funny in bed um, as kind of in a strange way validating Hitchens as point um, saying that that fear of, of female humor um, is is somehow a, a sexual fear uh, too so I, I thought that was interesting. Um, the the one last thing I want to say about the Hitchens is the thing in his piece that I found the most valid was when he talked about women's uh, proximity to kind of the gross parts of life and the, the comedy that can be found there. Um, and that was when I wanted his response um to, to be written later than it was, because I would like to know his thoughts on um, Amy Schumer or uh, Ali Wong. Oh, man, when he says in the piece um, that there are no uh, comedy routines about episiotomies. I thought, oh, could we please have a conversation um, between Hitchens and Ali Wong, um, who actually does have a comedy bit in her most recent special about an episiotomy um, when she's when she's giving birth. So I I uh, that I think he he does um, hit on something really true there. Um, that he also hadn't really seen come into fruition um, when he wrote the piece. So I, I wish I wish that existed. Yeah, I, I'm glad that you brought up Ali Wong because I was thinking of her as well. And as a response to him and that piece. And it's true that almost every single argument we hear against women in comedy have some aspect of Hitchens' whole argument because he t he kind of pulled in all of these different um, points of argument to argue that women are not funny or are not naturally funny. Um, that kind of just turned into a jumbled mess for me, although I also had a hard time reading this article and had to restart the article several times because I was getting so angry as well um, as I was reading through it. Uh, the response article was fantastic. I, I loved what Stanley was saying. Um, Alessandra Stanley, uh, and how she kind of broke down how women have just been treated in comedy. So we almost get a history lesson about women in comedy in her article and how um, 
the nature of the comedy scene seems to give more voice to males perspectives because they have more confidence in what they are saying or more freedom to have that confidence. So I believe Hannah Arc Gatsby would have also agreed with her in this article. Um, she and talks I, about women not being funny too. She has that one gag where she's like, um, men were telling lesbians they couldn't take a joke since before women were even funny. So, exactly. you know, she she's sort of reflecting it back even in her own special too. Exactly. So I I think that um I think you're right, Blake, in saying that she probably would have treated Hitchens just as she would treat Picasso uh, as someone suffering from the mental illness of misogyny. Um, Can I just say I like yelled audibly and thrust my fist in the air when she called misogyny (laughs) a mental illness? Like, I don't think I've ever been made that happy by a statement before and also like why have I never heard anybody say that before like, I don't know that was that was incredible that was a great moment for me that was a great moment I will agree with that um but no I think Gadsby would absolutely turn on Hitchens in a moment for this article and I think she would align directly with what Stanley said in her response. Uh, I think um, it's worth mentioning, if, if just to interject real quick, that he actually wrote a reaction to the reaction that included things as like, you know, is it any wonder that the ladies didn't get what I was actually doing with that piece? And he ends by ugh. saying, worst case scenario, women try that much harder to be funny, which means there are more funny women who are, you know, more attractive and desirable and funny women. And don't you understand that was what I was going for the whole time, which really kind of makes it, this really completes the package of this is like a, a, you know, second grader pulling pigtails on the playground level of argument, as far as I'm concerned. I I did not know that. (laughs) Yeah. It sounds pretty mansplaining to me, but I didn't know that that article existed, but I'm I'm completely unsurprised to learn that it does, because of course he had to get the last word. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's infuriating. Oh gosh. So I guess, shall we move on to our last question then, um, about what our standards as Christians should be for comedians and comedy in general? I think so. Sure. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and start. And I'm just going to say by and large, I'm agreeing with Gatsby on this, that comedy as a woman is a hard line to walk because of all of the male perception and just the history of the patriarchy that is inherent in our cultural history. Um, However, I do think that women can be some of the most truly hilarious people in this world, almost because of that history that we're striving to overcome. 
Because when women such as Gatsby, Alan DeGeneres, Tina Fey, Carol Burnett, so, so many comedians uh, make that huge effort to step outside of the norm of comedy, then we get that moment where we can truly laugh together um, despite gender differences um, in a moment where there really doesn't have to be, as Gatsby would say, this toxic tension between us. Because also, as she said in her special, there is more similar between human men and women than what divides us. Um, and I, I just think keeping that in mind and kind of striving for a comedy and enjoying a comedy that doesn't degrade or diminish others would be the ideal. I, I really appreciate those points. Um, and I want to echo them. I personally feel kind of uniquely ill-equipped to answer the question of of, of what is a, a good standard for, for comedy, especially as a Christian. I'm very sort of anti-censorship. I think that censorship is, is sort of doomed and destined to always backfire. Um, so I don't like the idea of saying that a certain kind of comedy just shouldn't exist anywhere. Um, I've, I've been a huge fan of comedy since I was, you know, 12 or 13 years old. And I got a hold of George Carlin's old, uh, stand-up routines. Um, and <laughs> that really kind of actually helped push me into a different phase of Christianity because it helped me ask a lot of questions about faith that I hadn't asked at that time. And, you know, some of them were just sort of ripped straight from his material. Um, also, as a straight white man, you know, I, I don't, I don't really believe that whenever me and somebody who is of a more minority opinion disagree on an issue relating to that question, that I have to be wrong and they have to be right. But I also definitely know that there are experiences and perspectives that I just don't have and, and, and things that, you know, I, I really rooms that I can't really walk into. Um, Cause you're so king speak. of the humans as we've already established. <laughs> Both fortunately and unfortunately, yeah. Uh -huh. uh, I, I, I sometimes I think about what it's like, you know, I, I'm left-handed. I got that at least, right? It, it was hard to write in college on, you know, in biology class. But <laughs> um, so I, I kind of agree uh, building up versus, you know, just in, any comedy or any joke that allows us to believe that an entire group of people is disposable or that they're despicable or re beyond redemption is something that I would, you know, want to watch out for myself. Um, and just to, to believe that comedy can be really insidious in, in, in how it shapes our thinking, um, because it's all about making a connection with other people. So if we're trying to connect based on the idea that some group of people somewhere, I, you know, for, if, in some case, maybe ideally not in the room, but even in the room sometimes, uh, both literally or metaphorically, can't be a part of that same group. That's where I think it it stops being funny um, and where ideally we can find a, an, an even better perspective than that one. Yeah, I, I think you made um, several really good points there. Um, I'm also really reticent to talk about standards 
that Christians should have for comedy. Uh, like you, Blake, I'm pretty anti-censorship. I really think that um, Christians should should be about about discernment and should not close things off um, just because they're profane. Um, though perhaps um, that was because I, I grew up in a house people who are really big fans of comedy too. Um, my dad was into a lot of comedians. Um, I, I was, you mentioned George Carlin. I was listening to the seven words sketch when I was probably way too young to listen to it. Um, my dad was also a big fan of both Lenny Bruce and Richard Pryor. So I, I heard sort of the classics of, of dirty comedy pretty early. Um, That's the holy trinity of comedy, according to most people. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, how, how do you, how do you do better? I don't, I'm not <laughs> sure you can, um, at least of, of that, um, that era. Um, also, I think my, my exposure to Christian comedy that called itself Christian comedy um, was just really weak and not very funny. Um, so I, I think that those divisions kind of do do more harm than good. Um, I think there there can be, if, if you'll sort of bear with me here, I'm going to a, a little bit of a woo-woo place, um, but I, I think there can be something that is very... Uh, Christian in a certain kind of spirit about comedy that offers a perspective that, like you were saying, Blake, we might not have access to in our own identity if we can kind of walk a mile in another person's shoes through jokes that they're telling and think, oh, I never thought about that issue before. Um, I think there's a kind of... Um, a, a kind of love and a kind of compassion in that that can be developed um, that fits in very well with a Christian perspective. Um, but again, I'm, I'm super reticent to draw hard and fast lines and say, like, as a Christian, you should listen to this person and not this person. Because um, I, I think those are, those are personal decisions. And of course, you know, you should... Uh, as with all culture you consume, pray and think about it and, and talk to other people. Um, I'm, I'm not going uh, not gonna to make prescriptions there either. But I do think um, something that comedy can do for us that would benefit us as Christians is expose us to um, other perspectives and, and have us uh, look at them um, with more knowledgeable, compassionate perspectives. Right. I personally think that... Uh comedy gives us the opportunity to uh, play with themes of doubt and discomfort because I think that that's sort of like in the DNA of, of how a joke yeah. works. Um, you know, one of my working theories is that that laughter is the noise a person makes when he realizes he's surviving something he was, he was worried was going to hurt him. Um, you know, and so the idea of being wrong about something, somebody, a comedian sets up a joke and you're pretty sure you know what he's going to say next. And then he tells the punchline and you're surprised, but then you laugh. I think that, um, like I said about George Carlin, it can, it can help us ask questions that we might be too boxed in and in many ways to ask otherwise. Well, thank you, Blake. Um, would you like to start with the recommendations? 
I'd love to. Yeah. Well, first off, I would be remiss if I didn't mention my favorite uh, female stand-up comedian is Maria Bamford. I've loved her uh, for, I think, going on 20 years now, maybe. Um, I think she sounds and talks and, and tells jokes like pretty much nobody else, male or female. And I watched her latest special uh, on Netflix, Old Baby is the name of it. Um, and I it was really great. Um, also, uh, there's a interesting debate on an old program called Totally Biased with W. Kamal Bell between a comedian named Jim Norton and a feminist writer named Lindy West Yay, about Lindy. the merits. There you go. Yep. Uh, about the merits of uh, rape jokes and when and where it might be okay to, to tell them and, and where the standards of comedy might be for that sort of subject matter. Um, I have a YouTube link and hopefully we'll be able to throw that up on the website. But also she spends an entire chapter talking about that in her book Shrill, which uh, I read and was really funny and really worth a read. I'd recommend that as well. Thank you. Uh, Victoria? Um, okay, so I am going to recommend uh, too many things. Uh, first, um, a very recent article about how uh, there were no female nominees for this year's comedy, uh, Best Comedy Album Grammy, um, which when this posts uh, will be about three weeks out from the Grammys. Um, the article mentions... Um, that it's very interesting that in a year when there were so many great female comedy specials, um, mentions Nanette, also mentions specials from um, Eliza Schlesinger, who I know Leah is about to talk about, and also Tig Notaro, um, who we haven't mentioned, uh, despite talking as much as we have about um, gender identity and queer identity and comedy. Um, if you're into those things, check out Tig Notaro, too. Um, but I thought that article was really interesting because um, we are in a time where there are lots of different options, and yet um, something as, as sort of traditional as the Grammys um, is, is still uh, still excluding women from comedy. So check out that article. Um, I'm also going to recommend two of my very favorite female comedians. Uh, first is Aparna Nancherla, who um, Blake just mentioned, uh, totally biased with W. Kamau. Bell. I actually first um, heard of her because she was a writer for that show and did a bunch of bits that I really loved. Uh, she also has an album uh, that just came out. I can't remember the title of it right now. Um, it's very funny. Uh, it was produced by Tignataro's comedy label. But she talks a lot about her own identity. She's um, an Indian American woman. Um, but what I love most about her comedy is how much she talks about dealing with anxiety and depression um, in a way that is, I guess, paradoxically really funny um, as a person who also suffers from both of those things. Um, I find that I, I get a lot of um, a lot of relief when I'm, I'm listening to her kind of break those things down. Um, the second comic I'm going to talk about I discovered more recently. Um, her name is Maysoon Zaid, uh, and she is a comic who is, she calls herself um, a triple threat in the world of minorities um, because she is a woman who is Palestinian, um, and she also has uh, cerebral palsy, uh, as many of our listeners know um, that's the the disability that I have. There are um, quite a few comedians with CP uh, out there today, but she's the only one that I've come across recently who's a woman. Um, she's really funny. She talks about disability in ways that I super relate to. 
she also has a TED talk that um, is kind of half comedy special. Um, I hate TED talks, so it's a big deal <laughs> that I'm endorsing them. Uh, but those are my recommendations. Uh, an article in the LA Times about the comedy Grammy and the comedy of Aparna Nancherla and Maysoon Zaid. Thank you, Victoria. Uh, as she just mentioned, I am going to recommend Eliza Schlesinger, um, particularly her more recent special, Elder Millennial. Um, she is a more well-known American comic. Uh, she was actually the first woman to win NBC's last comic standing. Uh, she is a little raunchy and crass, uh, but she does have good core narratives in her comedy specials, usually centering around helping women feel empowered in feminine and traditionally feminine actions, such as putting on makeup and getting ready for a night out. Um, another comic that I am going to recommend is Shapi Korsandi. She is a British-Iranian comedian, and she uses her unique perspective as a woman between cultures to highlight different perspectives on approaching adulthood, her career choices, and also how she's raising her family and interacting in her family setting. Um, if you have the opportunity to find some of her stand-up online, it's definitely worth a listen to. Um I'm also going to throw out there for anyone who might be interested in becoming a woman in the comedy circuit that there is an organization called Women in Comedy. Um, their slogan is Empower, Connect, Advocate, and it connects women who are entering into the comedy career, whether that's stand-up or writing, um, and helps get you uh, that connection and that support that you need if this is a career that you are interested in pursuing. Uh, and you can find them at womenincomedy.org. Thank you for listening to the Christian Feminist Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. If you have topic or reading recommendations for future shows, or if you just want to drop us a line, you can do so at christianfeministpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page and check out the show notes from this and our other episodes at the Christian Humanist blog at christianhumanist.org. The Christian Feminist Podcast is a member of the Christian Humanist Radio Network. Kristen Philippic is our press liaison, and Ellen Peterson is our intern. For Blake Miller and Victoria Reynolds Farmer, I'm Leah Henning. Tune in in two weeks when we'll discuss Terry Pratchett's Monstrous Regiment. Until then, in essentials, unity, in non essentials, liberty, and in all things, love. <laughs>